0: congregation will you please open your bibles to the book of second corinthians and the fifth chapter as we zoom our series through this great chapter from the word of god hear the word of the lord For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences." For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Be reconciled to God. For he hath made out him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Praise God for that precious portion of Scripture. In response to the Scripture reading, let us now sing from Psalter 47, stanzas 8 to 11. Amen. Mm-hmm. Let's now confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. What do you believe, Christian? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And let us further confess our faith with some of the words of the Belgic Confession. If you'd turn the back of your Psalter to page 20. And we'll continue to confess our faith uh, with Articles 30 to 32. Article 30 the government of and offices in the church. We believe that this true church must be governed by the spiritual policy which our Lord hath taught us in his word, namely that there must be ministers or pastors to preach the word of God and to administer the sacraments, also elders and deacons who together with the pastors form the council of the church that by these means the true religion may be preserved and the true doctrine everywhere propagated. Likewise, transgressors punished and restrained by spiritual means, also that the poor and distressed may be relieved and comforted according to their necessities. By these means, everything will be carried on in the church with good order and decency when faithful men are chosen according to the rule prescribed by St. Paul in his epistle to Timothy." Article 31, the ministers, elders, and deacons. We believe that the ministers of God's word and the elders and deacons ought to be chosen to their respective offices by a lawful election of the church, with calling upon the name of the Lord and in that order which the word of God teacheth. Therefore, everyone must take heed not to intrude themselves by indecent means, but is bound to wait till it shall please God to call him, that he may have testimony of his calling and be certain and assured that it is of the Lord. As for the ministers of God's word, they have equally the same power and authority wheresoever they are, as they are all ministers of Christ, the only universal bishop and the only head of the church. Moreover, this that this holy ordinance of God may not be violated or slighted we say that everyone ought to esteem the ministers of God's word and the elders of the church very highly for their work's sake and be at peace with them without murmuring, strife, or contention as much as possible. Article 32, the order and discipline of the church. In the meantime, we believe, though it is useful and beneficial, that those who are rulers of the church and establish certain ordinances among themselves for maintaining the body of Christ. Yet they ought studiously to take care that they do not depart from those things which Christ, our only master, hath instituted. And therefore we reject all human inventions and all laws which man would introduce into the worship of God, thereby to bind and compel the conscience in any manner whatsoever. Therefore, we admit only of that which is to nourish and preserve concord and unity and to keep all men in obedience to God. For this purpose, excommunication or church discipline is requisite with the several circumstances belonging to it, according to the word of God. Amen. Just one... uh, announcement before we come to prayer. Uh, Many of you will know uh, our brother Confex, who is a student with PRTS and ministered among us for some time, uh, very profitably here, uh, before he was called to a ministry in Malawi. And we received an email this week that a very bad tornado had left some 100,000 people in his uh, country homeless. And so I'll the Lord spared His small congregation. They are asking for prayer, that they would be given the, the grace and strength to help their country at this time. and certainly we should be praying for both uh, the people and uh, people of Malawi as well as their spiritual and material well-being. Well, now let us come before our God in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty, true, and living God, Lord Jehovah, you who possess all perfections of yourself, you own the cattle on a thousand hills, and whom shall give unto you who give so bountifully all that we possess? For it is in you that we live and move and have our being. Whom shall return unto you? Surely, the people is as grass. The flower fades and the grass withers. But the word of our God shall stand forever. In all the changing circumstances of life and all of our frailty, yet you are ever sure, ever true, ever strong, ever pure and holy. And it is you, O oh God, whom created all things. You, O God, who have revealed your will unto men. You, O God, who have reconciled sinners unto yourself in Jesus Christ. And you, O God, who have given unto men the ministry of reconciliation. We thank you, O Lord, that you have revealed in your word everything that is needful for the prophet, spiritual prophet of your people. That indeed, as we search the scriptures, we come to see that every circumstance is covered, that everything which we need to know in order to leave godly and blameless lives in this present evil age, it is revealed there. It is revealed in your sacred promises of how you can renew the soul and bring us into union with Jesus Christ, and in conformity to his will, and is revealed there, prescribing our duties before the sight of the living God. And we pray, O Lord, that as we do possess your word, as it is sung, as it is read, as it is preached, as it is studied, as it is prayed, that these things would be greatly profitable to each one of us. We, each one of us has, have the potential to live beneath our privileges. Your gospel covenant speaks of wonderful privileges. It speaks of marvelous power to overcome sin. It speaks of divine and eternal wisdom. It speaks of life eternal and communion with the living God. And we, O oh Lord, are but stammering children. We are those who, who speak of of words and the very depth of them is is so often hidden from our gaze. We have the word of truth, even this word of reconciliation. But how shall we improve it? How shall we improve it unto our spiritual good? Only if you should bless it. And that you should bless our our so hard souls that are prone to go in our own way. We pray, O Lord, that you would teach each one of us to delight in your word. That it would be as the, the very life of our soul that we would have a spiritual feast of great delicacies revealed from on high, whereby we may find a meeting place with our God. This is the means that you have appointed, O Lord, that we should commune with you. Will you bless him? Will you bless us in the living word, even Jesus Christ, who speaks unto us by the written word? We thank you, Lord, that we could come together in safety and in peace without harassment or obstruction of any kind, that indeed we enjoy much safety and uh, security and prosperity in this land yet, that there is the restraining power of your hand even upon the evil hearts of men, that civilization itself is not broken asunder. And we thank you for it, for we know that all around this world there is dread persecution and many things that are unraveling the very basis of civilization itself, wars and rumors of wars, princes and powers assailing themselves against the kingdom of Christ. Those parts of the world where, through false religion or de- demonic influence or or wicked strategies of men, there is even the laying hands upon your bride, the Church, and we pray, O oh Lord, that from every coast and region and landmass of this world, that the Gospel of Jesus Christ would Go forth, that all men would be drawn unto the crucified and risen Lord of glory, and that he who rules the nations with a rod of iron would deem to smash all those obstacles and threats unto his church. That Indeed, there may be those with power who are converted unto the gospel of grace, but likewise that there would be judgment for those hardened um, enemies of yours. We pray, O God, that you would be with those that are also suffering great natural disasters. And we think of our dear brother, Pastor Confex, as he labors in the word and sacrament. You as well have given unto him the ministry of reconciliation. And we pray that in this time of distress and calamity in his home country of Malawi, and this terrible disaster of the tornado that has claimed so many lives, that you would continue to watch over that little flock, but as well, Lord, that you would bless even these terrible, calamitous circumstances unto the good of many. May it please you, Lord, to um, preserve life. May it please you to bring recovery and stability and rebuilding unto that nation. But most of all, Lord, that men and women and boys and girls would come to see their spiritual need of Christ. And may it please you that that little flock uh, whom your eye uh, uh, looks upon in that country would swell with many uh, sinners beating on the door and saying, what must we do to be saved? Bring revival to that land, O Lord. Indeed, bring it throughout this world. We think of our own nation. We think of of the Jewish nation, Israel, your covenant people of old. We pray, Lord, for their conversion and revival as well. We pray for the Gentiles to be gathered in. We pray, O Lord, that Christ would be magnified and that there would be great blessing in these days of woe. Help us, O oh Lord, not to put these things at a distance, but indeed to truly live in the times in which you have called us. Help us, we pray, to own the responsibilities that you give. Help us, Lord, to experience and know something of your calling towards us, to everyone in their station, to truly be a slave of Jesus Christ, living unto his glory. And wherever, Lord, there may be defects or sins, Will you expose those? Will you not spare the knife, but cut into our hearts? Gouge out every pollutant and every infesting parasite of the devil's devices and of the world's thinking and of our own sinful flesh. Teach us as well to, as the Lord said, be willing to cut off the hand, cut off the foot, gouge out the eye, lest the whole body be thrown into hell. Grant repentance unto us. Grant sanctification, holiness, godliness, and obedience that all men may know that we are your disciples, Lord Jesus. And praise you for the blood which covers all sin. And we pray all these things in the most precious name of the Lamb of God. Amen. Let us now sing from Psalter Two hundred and forty three stanzas five to eight. Congregation of the Lord, will you please turn with me again to the book of 2nd Corinthians, chapter 5, and the 18th verse? And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Well, brothers and sisters, as we've made our way carefully through this chapter of the Word of God, we are coming to this part of Paul's writing to this early church that is in the midst of great trouble, a defense of his ministry. He has been touching on various points of doctrine that are relevant to his controversy with the false apostles, with the so-called super apostles, which were troubling the church of that time with their false doctrine. And in verse 17, we saw how he especially focused upon the reality of himself and all Christians, that they are those who serve the Lord as new creatures or new creations by the grace of regeneration. In this connection, he proceeded in in verse 18 to draw these, uh, these people of the Lord to reflect upon the greatness of the God who had so wrought in them, that indeed he is the God from whom all things are made. He is the God who reconciles sinners unto himself by the mediator, Jesus Christ. And then we come to the, the third thing that is mentioned in verse 18, which will especially be the focus of our message this afternoon. He says that this very same God hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now here he is speaking for himself, and is speaking for himself in terms of what we would uh, call an extraordinary minister of the gospel, one who had a very special office and calling of the Lord, for of course he, he speaks as an apostle separated unto God, one who witnessed the resurrected Christ in a, in a visible way and was especially commissioned as one to reveal the, the will of God in even writing sacred scripture. But he uh, unites himself in the way he, he speaks here with all those who share his ministry, all those separated into God, to the preaching and teaching office. And in this way, you'll, you'll see that he is going to uh, speak, especially with a conscious sense of this calling. He will, as we will see in, in later messages, get into the, the, the greatness and grandness of the gospel, which he refers to in verse 19 as the word of reconciliation committed to us. And that is a a special trust that is a special given to those with this ministry. In verse 20, he goes on and speaks of this. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. The Christian ministry uh, itself and Paul's stake in it is relevant to his, his argument here. I think it would be profitable at this time to simply reflect upon this latter part of verse 18 and to consider it under the theme of the gift of the Christian ministry, the gift of the Christian ministry. And we'll see three things from this part of God's word. First, the origin of this gift. Second, the possessors of this gift. And third, the blessing of this gift. The blessing also of the Christian ministry. Well, when we uh, come to this question of the origin of the Christian ministry, it's not left to our imagination. He's, he says, does he not? It is God that hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. This is a gift from the Most High God. It is an act of God to give unto the church, the office of the ministry. And uh, it's especially also the role of the Scriptures to explain for us what this office is. And I think it would be useful here to ask a number of questions of, of our text. He's speaking of a ministry of reconciliation, which is especially an ordinance of the New Testament church in the days of Christ and the apostles, something was done. A gift was especially given from that point to the very end of the world uh, to give this ministry. It was not unique to Paul, nor even unique to the apostles. But we would ask, well, when, when did this happen? When was this given? And I think uh, for an answer to that question, it'd be profitable to look at, an episode from the life of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. If you wish to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 16, we'll see a portion that we considered relatively recently from Matthew 16. You'll recall this is the episode in which Peter gives that great confession of faith in the Lord Jesus. And then the Lord Jesus replies to Peter, in this way, Matthew 16 and verse 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against him. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever Thou shalt loose on earth, shall be loosed in heaven. So here we do uh, have a very uh, remarkable episode in the ministry of the Lord Jesus, a very important teaching that he gives here. He speaks in spiritual language of giving keys to this man, Peter. And you can understand that this would be a very fitting way to describe authority if you are given the, the keys to a car, you know, that you can uh, drive that car where you want to go. But especially if you have the keys to a building, then what you do is you have the ability now to uh, open that door, to shut the door, to give access uh, to the building. And the, the authority that's uh, pictured in the illustration of keys here is, is actually one of eternal significance. Because he says that this authority concerns the binding on earth and the binding in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So it's something of, of great importance here that is being spoken of. It it concerns the very entrance into heaven, and it Concerns a divine authority which is especially given by Christ and certainly it is uh, we can say to the apostles as this special um, special group of, of ministers here but if you would turn to the very end of this uh, book of Matthew to the famous words of the great commission I think you come to see a little bit more about what is involved here Matthew 28, beginning at verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, it's important to recognize, congregation, that uh, these words, uh, ever since the great days of the missionary William Carey, uh, we've been uh, prone to see their relevance to all Christians in spreading the Great Commission. And that's certainly an implication of the words. But in the first instance, this is speaking of a, a special calling Uh, It's speaking of the authority of the keys. It's speaking of the ministry of reconciliation. And as it's fleshed out here, you can see that it uh, highlights basically two things here. It is a ministry of the sacrament. There is baptizing spoken of in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And likewise, it is speaking of the ministry of the Word because it concerns teaching to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So it's especially a, a divine office that concerns authority from God is exercised in these things, the sacraments and the preaching of the word. It, it is this which has eternal significance of binding and loosing things on earth which will be bound and loosed in heaven. As the gospel is proclaimed, as the sacraments are administered, People are admitted to the kingdom of heaven. And by virtue of their rejection of the ministry, they they are likewise excluded. And I think the thing that I especially like to draw out is, is how it ends there. He says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now you know that those apostles died in the first century. The apostles are not here today in the world. They are in heaven experiencing their reward. But Jesus says to them, I am with you always to the end of the world because he's speaking not only to that first generation of apostles, but to their successors, to all those who would possess their, uh, their office in the sense that they are ministers of the word and sacrament. Now, the thing to, uh, to notice here is that this is uh, also taught in the teaching of Paul himself that there is this ongoing ministry of reconciliation through the word and sacrament in the uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17 he speaks in this way let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor especially those who labor in the word and doctrine so there It's in the course of uh, Paul instructing Timothy on how to order the churches in a a biblical uh, way according to Christ's command. And he speaks of these two offices. There is the elder who rules only, and there is the elder who likewise has the responsibility for laboring in word and doctrine. And this is uh, the ongoing office of the minister who shares with the apostles the the spiritual uh, responsibility and authority of preaching and administering the sacraments. And just to bring all this together, it's perhaps good to uh, consult what our confessions speak about this. For uh, we did uh, read a, a portion there in the, in the service, and you can see that in Article 30, how it brings together a lot of these threads at the back of your Psalter on uh, page 20. We believe that this true church must be governed by the spiritual policy which our Lord hath taught in his word, namely that there be ministers or pastors to preach the word of God and to administer the sacraments, also elders and deacons, who together with the pastors form the council of the church. So the important thing to recognize here is that the way that the Christian church is to be run and governed Is not according to the ideas of people. We couldn't just say, well, we think this is a good way to do it or that. No, the idea here is that it's according to what Christ commands in his word. It's of abiding authority. And so Christians should uh, adhere to this when they would ask, what kind of church do I belong to? Well, one that is ordered according to the word of God. So there we have the sort of when question when, when was this instituted um, what is its, its authority today um, but I'd also like to to bring this question to the word of God and and that is uh, why well, what is the the reason for this? you could ask it really in this way why why does uh, the apostle really bring it up here why does he draw attention to this fact that God has given such a ministry of reconciliation? Well, obviously because there is need of such an office. There was need of it in that day when uh, terrible errors were threatening to overthrow a biblical church there in Corinth. Paul is drawing their attention uh, to his office as a minister of the gospel because they need to see their, their need of it. They need to see that this is something that is ordained of God for their good. That is really his motivation in in speaking to it in this connection. And I think it's also emphasized in that same article of, of our confession, where it goes on to say, not only that this is biblical in Article 30, but as well it's very needful, the purpose of this. That by these means, so by uh, ordaining that there be ministers and elders and deacons, by these means the true religion may be preserved and the true doctrine everywhere propagated. So preserving the true religion means making sure that we don't give in to errors. And uh, the propagation of it means spreading it so that it would be spread to others who don't yet uh, confess it. And it says everywhere. So the minister has a responsibility to ensure that it's spread beyond the four walls, but also everywhere. And he goes on uh, in, in this confession to say, likewise transgressors punished and restrained by spiritual means also of the poor in distress may be relieved and comforted according to their necessities, speaking as well as the roles of the ruling elder And in church discipline and the the deacon in leading the giving and and necessities uh, of the church being provided for. By these means, everything will be carried on in the church with good order and decency when faithful men are chosen according to the rule prescribed by St. Paul in his epistle to Timothy. So you see that... uh, The Reformed Confession and as well as the Scriptures speak of this is something which is necessary for the preservation of the truth, for the propagation of the truth, and for the good order and decency of all things. You see how much God cares for his church. If we would reflect upon all the times in which it seemed as though Error and heresy would destroy the Church of God from the face of the earth, and what happens? Well, God raises up a Martin Luther or a John Calvin or a John Bunyan or a Charles Spurgeon, whatever it may be. But but godly men who will will preach the full counsel of God, who will bring people back to the Scriptures, and especially uh, do so in a way, for the good of the Lord's people. We ought to see in the Christian ministry, as Paul directs it to our attention here, as something for which we should be thankful for. But we consider not only the origin of the ministry of reconciliation, but in the second place, the possessors of it. So he doesn't simply say, God hath given the ministry of reconciliation... But is given to us, the ministry of reconciliation. And I think perhaps this is is something that um, is easier to understand in the days of of Paul, perhaps than today. I think that uh, today, what what people in our society, at any rate, really want to trust in are more systems of authority uh, a correct process that can be be carried out and trusted in but uh, and so there's a lack of trust in what you'd call personal authority the fact that it is invested in someone who who will exercise it with intention and and purpose but Paul in order to both um, uh, reassure the Corinthian church of of his good intention and the need for his his message, he especially uses this. He says, this has been given to me, essentially, but really given to all ministers of the gospel. And so he says, and have given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And it would um, perhaps be the case that we would think, well, someone would say, well, who are you, Paul? Who are you? to speak with such authority? Who are you to simply say that you, you have something that, that gives you the right to, to speak to these things? And well, uh, what Paul is saying is that I have every right to do so because I have been given this ministry. And so we'd, we'd ask the question, who are these, these people who possess it? What can we say about them? Well, I think the, the first and most important uh, thing to begin with is that those who possess this ministry have been called to it. They have been called to this ministry. It's something that Paul spoke about in, in great personal uh, vividness in First Timothy chapter 1, and verses 12 to 14. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me For that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious? But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul, in this connection, he is emphasizing, isn't he, that... It is uh, not himself taking this unto himself. No, he has been called to it, not because he was worthy to be so called. Indeed, he, as an extraordinary case, was prior to his calling a, a wicked blasphemer and persecutor of the church. But there on uh, the road, the risen Christ appeared to him, knocked him off his horse, and, and Paul was forever changed. He was captivated By the grace of Christ, he was constrained by the love of Christ. And so, he speaks as one who has been commissioned and called and sent by Christ Jesus. And we saw that uh, earlier on when we touched on um, verse 20. He is one who can say, I speak in Christ's stead, as though Christ We're right here. I speak on his behalf. I, he says, an ambassador for Christ. He speaks as one who has been called by Christ to this office. And it would be, of course, true that it would be the most improper thing in the world for just anyone to simply claim to have such an authority, to actually claim to have the keys of the kingdom when they have no authority no right to it but the the word of god does say that there are people who are called to this to this office and it's spoken about in our confession as well if you look at uh, article 31 as it begins we believe that the ministers of god's word and the elders and deacons ought to be chosen to their representative office by a lawful election of the church well you see how it begins it's saying someone who is going to take on the office of a minister or an elder or a deacon well it should follow their being chosen through a transparent election but is that the reason why they're in that place are they ultimately occupiers of an office whether a minister an elder a deacon because people chose them well no something else must happen with calling upon the name of the Lord that and in that order which the word of God teacheth. Therefore, everyone must take heed not to intrude himself by indecent means, but is bound to wait till it shall please God to call him that he may have testimony of his calling and be certain and assured that it is of the Lord. So you see how the scripture and the confession speak with one voice on them. It's speaking it's about the reality that for a minister of the gospel, they would, would be in such a dangerous place if they would ever approach to that office without the persuasion in their heart that Christ has a message for sinners and that that man is called to that office and to speak in the stead of of Christ. And again, it's, if you track with the argument of the confession, it's saying that this, in the Lord's providence, will be confirmed by the church. The fact that the, the church came together and said it is, it is so, after praying, that was necessary for the confirmation, but ultimately the authority rests with Christ. The minister answers to Christ because Christ calls him. To this office, he is a called a called um, minister, but he's also a serving minister, and it gets to the the very essence of the word that is used here, and has called us to the ministry of reconciliation. It is it is a ministry. It is one of service, literally. It is not. Um, the lordship of reconciliation, but the ministry of reconciliation. The one who is a minister is a servant. A servant of the Lord Jesus who calls him, but a servant of others. A servant of those to whom he is called to serve. This is something that if you, you want to, to really know what this means, it, it has to really bring us, doesn't it, to the book of John in that, that 13th chapter. You'll remember how that goes. They're there in the upper room, and uh, they're all their feet are dusty, Jesus and his disciples, and there's no servant to wash their feet. And so there he is, the, the very leader of the group, even the very king of the universe, the head of the church. He takes off his robe. He takes on the, um, the clothing of a slave. And he gets down to, to wash his disciples' feet. And what does Peter do? He says, Lord, will you wash my feet? And, and he doesn't think this is right. And, and, but Jesus says, it must be so. You must be washed. And so. So Peter relents, and he says, well, not just my feet, but my hands and my head also. And indeed, he's, he, he washes all of his disciples' feet. And what is it that Jesus says in chapter 13, and verse 13? He says to his disciples, ye call me Master and Lord. And ye say, well, for so am I. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet for I have given you an example that ye should do it as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. What a solemn thing, congregation. For the minister of the gospel, he must have a consciousness that he is not the Lord of the church. No, if if even the very Lord and King would take on this role of a servant, if he would wash his disciples' feet, if, if, of course, he would be stripped down and go to the very cross itself, then the minister, the one who possesses a ministry of reconciliation, he can never deem himself greater than his master. He must crucify his own desires, his own his own self-esteem and his own ego. He must die to self. He must follow in his master's stead. He must be a servant in all that he does. Not serving for a paycheck or anything. No, serving others in the place of Christ with the attitude and, and with the role of a servant. The other thing we would we would see from uh, from this consideration of who these servants are, and it is that they are equal. They are all equal. And this is emphasized in our confession. You can see it there in um, article thirty one. and if you'd see the second paragraph, As for the ministers of God's word, they have equally the same power and authority, wheresoever they are, as they are all ministers of Christ, the only universal bishop and the only head of the church. So why is our confession especially drawing that out? Well, you can consult the different texts that are cited there, but I think you could also vindicate that simply from the text we've been considering. Uh, Paul, in this consideration, places himself on an equal level with everyone who possesses the ministry of reconciliation, everyone who would stand in Christ's stead, everyone who is called unto this sacred service. And that is, they all possess authority of the same sort. And so in that sense, they are all on an equal footing confession is sort of concerned about the pattern throughout church history where one uh, minister would exercise a lordship over another and if you want to see where that leads you can look at for example the anglican tradition where you have bishops and archbishops and and all sorts of people exercising sort of a, a grand bureaucracy over the different ministers and congregations you could also Consider, of course, the Roman Catholic Church, where ultimately that led to the Pope of Rome taking uh, the role of the head of that church. But uh, what the confessions are, are saying here is that it's Christ who is the only universal bishop, and as far as the ministers of the gospel go, they are all possessing of the very same immediate authority. It's not mediated through another, it's given immediately Directly from Christ to the minister, and so in, in the reformed churches it 's important to recognize this because uh, all the ministers of our of our federation, they are all held in honor and all respected and as a federation of churches, we cooperate one with another we, we love one another, we, we seek to uh, discern wisdom one from another. But it's, it's never the case that, that any minister has more authority than another. The reality is that there could be all sorts of reasons why one might be tempted to take a, a message based on its source. But ultimately, when it comes to any minister who truly stands in the stead of Christ and faithfully executes that calling, it is a matter indifferent. They all have the same authority. There's this fourth uh, thing that I think our, um, our confession also draws out, which I think is important for considering our text as well, and that is that it is a limited um, man. He is limited in his authority. And for that, I'll, I'll take you to an article that we've considered a couple times in the past, but it bears repeating there in Article 32 concerning the order and discipline of the church. In the meantime, we believe, though it is useful and beneficial that those who are rulers of the church institute and establish certain ordinances among themselves for maintaining the body of Christ, yet they ought studiously to take care that they do not depart from those things which Christ, our only master, hath instituted. So, what's it saying there? Okay. You need to make rules and guidelines as a church. There must be everything done in order and decency. But the standard that's set here is that it is those rules which come from Christ which must govern the church. He is the head. He is the master. And it goes on. And therefore, we reject all human inventions and all laws which man would introduce into the worship of God, thereby to bind and compel the conscience in any manner whatsoever. And so the the standard that's that's set forth here, congregation, is that anyone who would have the, the office, they act on behalf of not themselves, but their master in every respect. They have but one kind of authority, and that is divine authority. It is spiritual authority. And so it is the authority of them explaining and applying the word of God. Apart from that, they have no authority whatsoever. It is that which they have, and it's why uh, Paul uses the illustration of an ambassador for Christ. The ambassador to another country has nothing of himself to say to that country in which he is visiting. He speaks for his king or his president. And so, insofar as he departs from that, there is no authority. And likewise, there is this warning of the of the confession that every uh, one who would exercise this ministry of reconciliation, they must only do so in accordance with the scriptures else, they are binding the conscience. They are putting themselves in the role of the Lord of the conscience when there is, in fact, only one Lord and Master, and that is God, as he's revealed his will in the sacred scriptures. Thus, we see that we have a very full-or presentation of the ministry of the gospel. And I think that there ought to be... uh, Certainly this that you, you take from this. Who, Who is sufficient for these things? It's not easy to get up and expound these things. I tremble to, to say these things because I know that I will be held to the standard of scripture on judgment day and I will have to account for everything I've done to that master and Lord. So I ask as your pastor that you would pray for me that you give me wisdom and humility to perform this office in a way that is good and in keeping with the scriptures and that you would advise me in any area I can do to do better and so there we see the the origin and the possessors of, of this ministry of reconciliation let's consider in the third and final place the blessing of this gift, because it does speak, does it not, of the ministry of reconciliation. It's not just a gift, but it's the gift of a ministry. And it's not just the gift of the ministry, but it's a gift of the ministry of reconciliation. You know, if You were dying in a desert and someone gave you the gift of a glass of water that would keep your body from perishing. That would be a great gift. But how much greater is the gift of someone who would give you spiritual water to drink? Someone who would present unto you even the glad tidings of salvation in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful love gift of God to the church and to this perishing world, that there should be ambassadors sent with the glad tidings that you can be saved from your sin if you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have received the word of reconciliation. Why? In order to, to hide it away to themselves? No, but to shout it from the rooftops to proclaim it from house to house, to proclaim it every single Lord's Day, to go to the ends of the earth. Recall we said on New Year's Day that the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, that all the forces of hell cannot withstand the spiritual and divine power which God has invested in the ministry of, and it's an astonishing thing because you look at the weak and fallible men who occupy this office, including the one standing before you, and you would say, what kind of joke is this? This is what one would call the, the foolishness of preaching. How could this, a man standing before you and opening a book and explaining it to you, how could that do anyone any good? Well, It does good because it's ordained of God. Notice how he puts it there. As though God did beseech you by us. If you would be given a personal letter from God, would that not be encouragement to you? Would it not be something that you would speak about and remember? But what if God were to speak to you personally with an audible voice? each and every Lord's Day. Indeed, and in some way we do not understand, God uses these weak instruments to directly speak unto the minds and hearts of his people. Insofar as any minister of the word, separated unto that office, opens up this book and speaks to you, there is a proclamation with divine authority as though God did direct you, himself directly to you with a personal message that is a great thing but it's much greater when you consider the content of what is said to wit that god was in christ reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation Do you want to know how you can be forgiven of your sins? Are you burdened with many anxious cares for your soul? Well, here is a message from God. God will not impute to you your sin. Why? Because God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. God did it all in Christ. But he didn't just do it, but he sent messengers to tell you about it that you don't have to worry, you don't have to be driven by anxious care. As God says to you today, you can know the forgiveness and love of God in Jesus Christ if you will but receive of his free gift. And if any old person were to, any particular person were to come up to you and tell you that, that would count for nothing. But if God tells you it, God who cannot lie, it is absolutely true, and it is not to be doubted. It is to be received. Have you received it? What more does God have to do? He has sent you His messenger. But I think there's also this message as well, is there not? There is such a great blessing given here, and the thing that is be taken from that, it is that it is the office that is worthy of honor. For that reason, it is something that is spelled out in our confession, such that it is not to be um, neglected. But it says there uh, in Article 31, at the very end there, Moreover, that this holy ordinance of God may not be violated or slighted. We say that everyone ought to esteem the ministers of God's word and the elders of the church very highly for their work's sake, and be at peace with them without murmuring, strife, or contention as much as possible. So the point uh, here is that not for the sake of the minister, but for the sake of the office, that all complaints, all murmuring or contention, they are to be limited only where necessary. And so where it is possible for them not to, to exist, they ought not to exist. And the, the implication here is that there is a judgment, a judgment that must be made, is, is something necessary to be uh, contended about. And obviously in Paul's day, he did contend with those who claimed to be ministers of the gospel, and he contended because the very truth of God was at stake. He contended because the souls of men hanged in the balance. He was regarded as a disturber. Of uh, that church by his enemies, because he, he raised a proper um, a proper controversy with those who are preaching contrary to the Word of God, but he would would not have done so if there was not a good reason. so each each one of us, as we value the peace of the church, we must each one search our own hearts and determine what is necessary to be uttered and what is necessary to be contended about. And it goes always, does it not? It goes for everyone who would claim to the office, everyone who would exercise it, all those who would be under it. It is appointed unto God that this is the means of reconciling the church, of ordering the church, not because there is anything burdensome or wrong with it, but rather... It is because of these things that make for peace. That is what uh, Article 32 said, is it not? Therefore we admit only of that which tends to nourish and preserve concord and unity and to keep all men in obedience to God. And as we occupy ourselves with that, what is obedience to God? And I think the the judgments will be very clear as to... Uh, what it is that is important that we discuss? What is it that we important that we we labor over? What is it that can be forgotten? Well, congregation, there is this word of the Lord given to the Corinthian church. It's a word that abides forever. Thus says the Lord. Amen. In response to the message, let us now sing from Psalter 303. we do praise and exalt you because it is you, the head of the church, who has so loved the church that you've bestowed unto her the ministry of reconciliation. And we do pray that you would be pleased to bless that ministry in this church and in all churches, not for the sake of anyone. For we know that Every man who occupies the office is but a crooked stick, but you are pleased to draw straight lines by means of crooked sticks. And we thank you, Lord, that most of all we have the word of reconciliation, that Christ was in the word reconciling sinners unto himself. Bless this word, we pray, unto the salvation and good and edification of many. And may all things be pleasing unto you. And we pray it in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let us now sing from uh, Psalter 232. All stanza. benediction. We will sing from Psalter 413 as our closing doxology. Now depart in peace and receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.